The Athletic. Totally Football Show. Today, top two stays tight, bottom three gets tighter, Toffee's jersey with football up it gets tighter still. We ask, is Everton's win the worst news for Leeds since the rollout of Wi-Fi? Klopp's rotation, how deep is his pool? And why we know who's going down next season. Plus, not quite Dunsinane, but there's drama in store as Forrest march on Bournemouth. All that and more coming up in this Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Monday, 2nd of May. Hello, listener. Joining us today on The Totally, Matt Davis-Adams, Tom Williams and Nick Miller. Hello, everyone. Hello, Hello James. Hello to you all. Uh, hey, Tom, how's Paris? It's good, thanks. I've not been outside yet. Uh, oh. It looks quite grey, but I've had a couple of pan au chocolat already. So, you know, ticking off those, those Paris cliches right. as they come. Absolutely. Just for anyone who doesn't know, what are you doing in Paris? Uh, so I come to Paris pretty much every weekend to appear mm. on a French football programme called Canal Football Club, uh, which is kind of the French equivalent of Match of the Day, sort of. Nice. Um, and I am the token uh, British person. What did they want to discuss on Canal Football Club Sunday night? A lot of the things that I suspect we will discuss on today's pod, James. Lots of title race chat, lots of top four chat. Mm. Um all, all the things that we're, you know, we're getting excited about that the French are every bit as excited about. Oh, there. I was just wondering if there were any Gallic twists, any bits that they chuckle and go, oh, les Anglais, notre um, cousin. Well, I tell you what, do you know what? There's this kind of trope uh, within this sort of French football that all English goalkeepers are useless. So if any goalkeeper of any nationality drops a clanger, you know, throws the ball into his own net, they'll be, oh, you know, has he been coached by an English coach or something? So they, they had to eat their own words yesterday, faced by the spectacular performance of Jordan Pickford uh, right. against uh, against Chelsea. So I, I made a point of highlighting that, that English goalies aren't just there to be laughed at. They, they do occasionally make saves and, and win points for their teams. Crikey. Oh, that's... Um... That's remarkable. What a thoroughly ill-deserved reputation that is. Uh, Nick and Matt, Tom's in Paris, you are both in a state of extreme trepidation because of Tuesday night. Yeah, yeah. It, uh, mine and Matt's WhatsApp conversations about uh, Nottingham Forest, for anyone who doesn't know, big game against Bournemouth on Tuesday. Our WhatsApp conversations have exclusively been kind of, oh my God, oh my God, I don't know how to cope with this. What's you know? Please hold me. Yeah, Nick's go-to is I feel sick and I can't yeah. really offer him any sort of relief from that nausea uh, at mm. the moment. I mean, I'm, I'm taking the angle of we're just glad to be in this position at this stage. All the pressure's on Bournemouth. They've been second all season, you know. Get, getting in the playoffs would be a great achievement when we invariably lose the semi-final. But yeah, it's horrible. I mean, it's right. so long between yeah. now and seven o'clock on Tuesday. What, I, what, this, what this whole process has given me is a newfound respect for people who support good football teams. Because I just I simply couldn't cope with this every year. Although they probably don't have the sensation that this is going to happen once every twenty three years, and if you blow this, who knows when the next time will come around? For anyone who's not across this, this is Nottingham Forest, who are three points off automatic promotion with two games to go. The team immediately above them, Bournemouth, is the team they're facing on Tuesday night. Nick, you're hoping to be there at the Vitality Stadium. Yes, uh, I may as well use this podcast as another shameless uh, platform to ask if anyone's got any spare tickets. 
My DMs are open on Twitter, Nick Miller seventy nine. Thank you. Right, Matt, would you rather be there or not be there? Um, I think I'd, I'd, I think I'd rather not be there on this occasion, to be honest, because I'd quite like to just be with friends watching it. I was at Fulham on Tuesday right. last week and, and had to sit with the Fulham fans, with uh, producer Abby of this parish, which was not a particularly intimidating experience. I did actually hear a conversation at half time from two chaps in front of me um, discussing the quality of pedicures at the spa that they'd visited. So <laughs> it, it made me feel even less intimidated than I previously was. Peak Not the kind of nails you usually get from kind of up- opposing fans. No. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, all right, let's check on the Premier League results for the weekend. At the top, still just a point between Man City, a 4-0 winners at Leeds, and Liverpool, 1-0 winners at Newcastle. Arsenal, meanwhile, are still two points clear of Spurs in the race for fourth. Arsenal beating West Ham 2-1. Spurs doing Leicester 3-1. The Gunners, intriguingly, are now only three points behind Chelsea. In third spot after Chelsea's defeat on Sunday at Everton. A result which in turn certainly wrapped things up down the other end of the table. Everton still in the bottom three, but now with survival back in their hands. They're two points behind Leeds and Burnley now, with a game in hand on both of them. Norwich are now officially down following their defeat at Villa Park. Canaries sent down by Dean Smith's former side. And the same fate could befall Roy Hodgson with Watford. Uh, because they're going to be at Crystal Palace next Saturday, and the wrong result there can see the Hornets go down. Mm. Let's talk Super Frank's Magic Toffees. You're listening to The Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power and part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Raucous Sunday bank holiday lunchtime at Goodison Park uh, before, during and after, really. Everton's 1-0 victory over Chelsea. Uh, Why was the dog being carried? I guess because there were lots of people in in its way and maybe that was the easiest, that was the easiest route. Maybe it was a a slightly anxious dog that, that, you know, had a bit of a, a bit of a meltdown. I'm not a dog owner, so I, you know, I, mm. I, I, I can't really put myself in the shoes of either. It the, seemed the to dog acquiesce owner or the with dog. its kind of crowd surfing remarkably. It did look quite serene. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, quite the, quite the image. Right. Other questions uh, from Sunday's one uh, 0 victory for Everton include: Are Everton now going to beat the drop? Is Super Frank Lampard actually doing a really good job there? And that kind of thing. And, uh, oh, yeah, should uh, Richarlison be investigated by the FA for playfully tossing that lit flare back into the crowd? Oh, and what's going on with Chelsea as well? Well, let's start with uh, Frank Lampard and a victory over the man who replaced him at Chelsea. I think he's, in the past couple of games, he's, whether whether he's all around doing a good job, I'm not sure. But in the past couple of games, anyway, he's been quite smart in that he's recognised that he's not managing a venerable old kind of football institution who have found themselves in a... Um, you know, grossly false position. He's managing a crap team fighting for their lives in the Premier League. So he, they've been, they've kind of done exactly that. They've made themselves as unpleasant as possible to play against, um, and it kind of worked a little bit against Liverpool. But Liverpool are, you know, one of the best teams in the world. So eventually they were going to break them down. Uh, they tried it again against Chelsea and sort of dragged Chelsea down to their level, and it was, it, you know, it worked perfectly. Chelsea kind of obviously wandered into their trap waving a white flag and looking like credulous rubes for uh, falling for the trap 
but it worked worked very nicely, combined obviously with some brilliance from Jordan Pickford. Jordan Pickford, indeed, incredible saves with various bits of his anatomy on uh, Aspilicueta and Rudiger. Was he the man of the match uh, for you, Tom? Yes, I think so. Along with Richarlison, um, who obviously scored the only goal, and 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 then he provided that uh, unexpected talking point by by lobbing the flare back into the into the crowd. But I mean, I think we're all aware of Jordan Pickford's limitations as as a goalkeeper, um, and that the Jordan Pickford you see for Everton is not always the same as the Jordan Pickford you see for for England, and he is. He is a slightly manic goalkeeper and, and he does fling himself around a little bit too much. But actually, I think, and to kind of go back to Nick's point about just, you know, needing to, to kind of dig in and, and, and fight their way out of that. He's the perfect sort of keeper for this because Everton do not defend well enough to keep opposition teams at bay for long periods. Pickford is going to have, uh, you know, lots to do. He had lots to do against Chelsea. He's going to have lots to do over the, the remaining five games of, of Everton's running. Uh, but I think, I, you know, when you've got a goalkeeper performing in that way uh, against a big team uh, at home, and, you know, this has been a real feature of, of this kind of mini revival that Frank Lampard has engineered, that the fact that, that Goodison Park is is once again looking more like the cauldron of old looking like more mm. of an more of an intimidating place um, then I think actually Pickford is is the kind of you know sort of perfect symbol for that and that you know you do get moments in games where and it's an old football cliche about you know luck luck being with you or whatever but that you know the 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 shot from Mount that hits both posts um, and then the ball comes out to Cesar Azpilicueta, who's basically got the whole goal to aim at and, and could have put it nearer to the corner than he did. But nonetheless, Pickford has to fly, fly across and, and, and keep it out. And, you know, you, you saw, you know, you heard the roar of the crowd. You, you saw the response to that. And I think looking at Everton's running, I think they stand a pretty decent chance of, of surviving now. I mean, they're away at Leicester mm-hmm. and away at Watford um, and then home to Brentford and Palace before going to the Emirates on the last day of the season. Um, and I think, you know, you look at those next four games, you can see them getting sort of 10, 10 maybe even 12 points from those um, if they can kind of hold on to this momentum. Um, and I think particularly, you know, looking at how tricky things were at kickoff, given that Burnley had won uh, the day before... I think a lot of us probably thought, oh, well, they probably won't get anything against Chelsea, but the games after that are winnable. So to have kicked off this this run by beating Chelsea in that manner, yeah, feels pretty significant. Well, yeah, it does. And, and, and until you look at Chelsea's performance, they had a they had a lot of possession, they had a lot of chances. There were some amazing saves by Jordan Pickford. But Matt, what did you what do you make of Chelsea right now? They're just in stasis as a, as a football club. They're in this position in the league whereby they are very unlikely to be caught. I think obviously Arsenal and Spurs have got to play each other, but Chelsea have effectively got an extra point because of the goal difference advantage that they've got. But I don't think there can be any doubt now that the takeover is starting to affect things. Certainly with Thomas Tuchel, whose mood seems to have dipped massively. And I think understandably as well, you know, you think back to that that first game when the sanctions were announced away at Norwich and it was a kind of us against the world attitude, which he, he sort of thrived upon for a few weeks. But 
the Rudiger situation um, is obviously something that seems to have hit him quite hard and a kind of realisation that his hands are tied in terms of making any kind of plans for next season, whilst at the same time not really having that much to play for for mm. the rest of this season. And, and normally you'd say, well, you've got an FA Cup final to look forward to, but I'm not sure how much you can look forward to any game against Liverpool at the moment. And and so it does just feel like the season is petering out towards an end. There's, there's the issue with the players who are coming out of contract, but you know a lot of those are defenders who are not playing well at the moment. They really right. didn't play very well in this game. Azpilicueta was at fault for the goal. He'll, I think he'll probably stay next year, but, but oh, even yeah? still, that's causing um, a bit of uncertainty. And, and Andreas Christensen to me, seems to have downed tools and decided that he doesn't want to play at all anymore. And so Chelsea are left with very limited options and, and they've got a team that are not scoring goals. And, you know, as was the case on Thursday at Old Trafford when they were missing all those chances, you think if only they had a £100 million striker that they could bring on. Mm. Well, they do, but he's not very good and he didn't even get on in this game. So, yeah, yeah. They, they need to get the takeover sorted. Obviously, Friday was another extraordinary day for that and, and we still don't know there seems to be a, a belief that, that Jim Ratcliffe's not going away and that he is serious about you know engaging with with the club and supporters groups etc this week but it all feels very 11th hour and unsettling and, and they just need to get it sorted one way or another so that people involved in every facet of the club shall we say can know what they're doing for next season <laughs> absolutely Daniel Story pointing out that Chelsea have five forwards Signed for a total of three hundred and ten million in transfer fees, none of them have managed more than seven league goals this season. We should talk about the the fans. Frank Lampard certainly did after the game, and the difference in the atmosphere at Goodison. Everton fans setting off fireworks outside the Chelsea Hotel the night before the match, packing the streets before the game to greet the team coach, and then crucially sticking balls up jumpers <laughs> at moments in the game to disrupt the flow. Of Chelsea's attempted comeback. Is that the first time we've seen the fireworks outside the hotel in English football? It feels like the last Surely thing not. To, to make its way over to our shores. I mean, I Man United of... were probably doing it outside their own team's hotel. <laughs> but I'm not sure. What about sticking the ball up your jumper? A, a, a glorious pantomime moment. It's the, the old classic, the, the kind of looking around. The, the, I like the, the, the way that the guy really mugged for the cameras as well. Right. Stuck it up his jumper and kind of looked, looked over both shoulders and said, well, I don't know where the ball is. No, no idea. You have to find another one. Nobody could do that with the flair, but I wonder how significant a moment that's going to be because you know, Richarlison, what's he got? Four goals in five games. So they've got a goal scorer in form, which Leeds and Burnley don't particularly have. Burnley are scoring goals, but you know, not from a striker. If Richarlison gets a one-two game ban, that might end up being really significant. And I don't know what the precedent would be in terms of the punishment, but throwing a lit flair into a group of people seems like something that is worth some sort of recourse. Mm. I mean, Harvey Elliott waved a flare around on the pitch, didn't he? After the was that after the League Cup League final? Cup final, yeah. Um, and the FA wrote to him, um, and I don't think it went any further than that. So that that's probably the closest we've got in terms of precedent. But then there is there is obviously a difference between just sort of waving it around on the pitch and actually throwing it into a into a group of, of tightly congregated human beings. You kind of hope, in the interests of you know, just a. a an exciting run-in that that he doesn't get a ban over it because I I don't I don't expect any Everton fans to Cumbridge at, at, at what he did and it felt kind of I don't know it felt kind of appropriate in the in the moment but it's quite nice that that Everton having having seen you know Liverpool fans go in for the the sort of uh, epic 
uh, team welcome with the flares and smoke and all the rest of it, get a chance to do it, albeit because they are you know, clinging on to their Premier League status by their fingernails rather than competing for, for major honours. But again, you know, it's a, a sign of, of, of what what a kind of full raucous Goodison Park can do. And, and, mm. and you suspect that'll be a, a feature again, uh, you know, for those two home games to come against uh, against Brentford and Palace. Well, Tom, you've confidently predicted 12 points from the next four games for Well, I mean, I, I don't know why I said... I, I, I think they'll look at those four games. Right. Leicester, who may be, uh, you know, gearing up for uh, Europa Conference League final. Watford, who are already down... Uh, and then Brentford Ish. and Palace at home, who have got nothing to play for. I mean, I, mm. I, I think I think Everton will, will be looking at getting ten points from those. So yeah, I think I think they're they're set up set up well for these these last five matches. I suppose the interesting thing will be whether against teams where they might expect a little more to to get points or certainly be the the more dominant team. Whether the you know scrapping tactics will will work and. Mm. Assuming that Lampard decides that the scrapping tactics aren't the the way to go, whether the other stuff will work, because you know playing football hasn't really worked out very well for them this season. So um, I, I just wonder what what will happen, how they will approach the the last few games. Well, Matt's the the the, the pundit with the second most extraordinary predicting record on, on on this podcast, Matt. What what's your take? Everton's running. We've already heard Burnley and Leeds, who've played a game more. Uh, do you want their run-ins before you pronounce? No, that? I've got it here actually. Yeah. BBC have handily put it up. Nice. Um, I'm really struggling, honestly. I, I, I've looked at it time and time again this morning, and I, I, I want to say Leeds, but I fear that's just recency bias. But I don't know what Chelsea are going to turn up against Leeds on Wednesday right. next week. You wouldn't fancy them to get anything from Arsenal at the weekend. Brighton do better away from home than they do at home. They've still got to play them at Ellen Road, and and then they go to Brentford and. Brentford are obviously long since safe, but final game of the season at home, you know, they, they have motivation to do well in that. I think for Everton, the key is to, to not have anything riding on their last game of the season, which is at Arsenal. Mm. Um, Burnley, you wonder if they can keep this up. I think, I think it is Leeds, again, because you can't think of a Leeds player who's in form at the moment, particularly, and that feels crucial. And, and things like what happened on Saturday with Liam Cooper pulling up lame in the warm-up and then Stuart Dallas going off and, and surely not going to play again this season. Those strike me as the kind of things that happen to teams that are going to get relegated. And it would be so miserable for Leeds supporters because they could have just kept Bielsa and got relegated anyway, couldn't they? Mm. Um, but it, yeah, it looks to me like it's Leeds who, and certainly I think the bookies think that as well now, that they're the favourites yeah. to go down because their their goal difference is uh, so far inferior to, to everybody else's. But... <laughs> Yeah, if you're pushing me, I'll plump for Leeds. I've got a hot take, which is hotter than that for later in the show. But yeah, relegation-wise, okay. Leeds. When when should we go to you for the hot take? Well, it is relegation-based, but it's on next okay. season. So it depends whether you want to wait till we get to the game in question. No, I'm, I'm desperate to find out. All right, I think Wolves might well get relegated next season. Right. It's going early. That is early, even by your standards, Matt. <laughs> Uh, Burnley's run-in is Villa at home next weekend, then Spurs away, then Villa away, then Newcastle at home on the final day. Burnley, of course, who came from behind for their latest victory. That was Saturday afternoon, 2-1 at Watford. Changing your manager works. If only Watford had thought of that. 
<laughs> well, they um, um, poor old Watford had to sort of wheel out Roy Hodgson in his suit and shades, looking like a kind of confused elderly mafioso being brought out <laughs> to sort of rally the troops out of one last big job. Um, and yeah, what a miserable, miserable season and miserable team they are. It's just there's no crumb of comfort for Watford at all from this season. Is there? Imagine if you had a season ticket at Watford and you lose mm. eleven home games in a row. Just, just bleak. I find myself wondering what what, what Roy Hodgson kind of makes of the uh, 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 what Roy Hodgson was make of him essentially becoming a meme because he's just <laughs> you know he's just an old man who was managing a football match on a sunny day so he puts some sunglasses on and suddenly his, his picture is going around Twitter as you say people commenting like he looks like an elderly mafioso mm. he's, he should you know, have stuck a cigar in his mouth well exactly if you <laughs> yeah. really lean into it yeah. You know? And like every time the camera cut to him, he was just sitting there in the exact same position, wearing the exact same. I mean, how would you describe it? Like just like like, a, like he looked quite happy sitting there in serene. the sun in in his sunglasses. Quite quite serene, um, and he didn't make any substitutions. The first mm. time Watford haven't made a substitution in a Premier League game since December two thousand and six, apparently. Um, and yeah, it just, just felt like a kind of a symbol of this, this, this very pedestrian relegation that they are, they are slowly and irrevocably strolling towards. Yeah, it's hard to read that any other way, you know. If you're in, still mathematically in with the shout of staying up, facing a team, one of your direct rivals in the relegation battle, and you go. I mean, behind. I guess. Yeah, I, I suppose in Hodgson's defence, because both of the Burnley goals came late, I mean, mm. Watford was still 1-0 up with seven minutes to go. Oh, okay. And then Burnley scored twice in, in, in the space of four minutes. So that perhaps explains the, the, the substitutions thing. But yeah, it, it did feel like a, a, a strangely passive way of, of slipping to defeat. Mm. No, that, that does seem like a quite a fair explanation, actually. But uh, Burnley, remarkable stuff. Uh, very few people, I think, were expressing support when Sean Dyche was let go by the Clarets. But as Ryan Gray points out in the Watford Observer, Mike Jackson with with uh, Ben Mee has now taken more points this season than each of Watford's three managers have managed. That's Cisco, Ranieri and Hodgson. Hodgson currently on eight. Uh, Cisco and Ranieri both on, on seven. Remarkable. Yeah, he's, he's done more than enough to, to get the job on a full-time basis and then get sacked in October, hasn't he, Mike Jackson? I think that's um, that's beyond reasonable doubt. Uh, the, the other thing that strikes me about this is I, I thought Veghorst had quite a good game here. And you think back to when Newcastle bought Chris Wood to try and relegate Burnley, essentially, mm. for £25 million. Wood starting on the bench for Newcastle at, at the weekend. Two goals, I think one of those was a penalty, probably. Veghorst only got a couple of goals, but three assists too for half the price. It's funny how that's worked out as well as the... Mm. Uh, the Sean Dyche thing, which I know uh, Mike Jackson's kind of saying, oh, we're just letting them play football and, and show that they're good, etc. But I, I do wonder if the fact that there is a necessity for them to win games has kind of helped that as well. It's not just kind of go on, lads, show everybody what good players you are. We, we do actually need to win these games. So there is a, you know, a need to take the handbrake off, as it were. Good to see, um, good to see Dwight McNeil back as well. Um, he felt like perhaps the major casualty of the the rot that, that had set in um, a little bit under, under Sean Dyche and, and, you know, wasn't starting games. And he has been one of, if not the key players in this in this little turnaround um, and, you know, sort of reminding everyone what a, what a fantastic player he is. Um, I've always had a bit of a thing for sort of willowy wingers. Uh, so I'm quite pleased to see him uh, doing his stuff again. Very nice. Norwich, meanwhile, leave us, or will at the end of the season after their 2-0 defeat 
at Aston Villa confirmed their umpteenth relegation. Any thoughts on that? Do you anticipate them are seeing them back again soon? Probably. They'll probably win the championship next season. And, you know, it's 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 a for certainly for a, a neutral and someone who currently supports a, a championship team, it's incredibly boring. I, I wonder whether they, they kind of one of the drawbacks of being sort of slightly too good for the championship, not good enough for the Premier League, is that when you're relegated, promotion is obviously the immediate aim. And they know they can do that, but without seemingly without really addressing any of the problems that have uh, have continued this season. So, you know, two seasons ago when they got relegated, they conceded a load of goals. They had a terrible end to the season, and Timo Puki was their top scorer. And you know, it's more or less exactly the same now. Puki's their top scorer. He's got ten goals. Next on the list is Josh Sargent, who has two, both of which were in the same game in January against Watford. So. I don't know. It, it, it just in order to stop this kind of constant bouncing between the two divisions, big things need to change, which may well mean that they have to stay in the championship for for a little little while. But I think the idea that um, Norwich are a kind of well run, sensibly could run club is is true to a certain extent. But I don't know. What's the point if you're just gonna win the championship one year, finish bottom of the Premier League the next year, and kind of repeat to fate? Mm. Well, I guess it depends what the alternatives are. I mean, surely that's more exciting than just being a kind of very boring but very consistent like mid-table Premier League team. I mean, you, you at least get the highs. Yes, you get the lows, but you do get the highs. I mean, you then get the lows, but then you've got a high just around the corner. I mean, <laughs> obviously you you're by a low, but I mean, it's... Yeah, absolutely, I would. No, I'm, I'm wondering about the Forest fans that we have with us, poised perhaps to make the leap back to the Premier League. Would you take that if it meant going up and down for a, a year or two? For a year or two, yeah, but not for like 10 years. And and it's going to mean so much more to Nick, I and every other Forest supporter if we get promoted this year for the first time in 23 years and well, if sure. Norwich do it, you know, every now and then. And I, you just wonder, like, as Nick says, they, they need to make some changes at Norwich, but you wonder if there's the appetite for that. It just feels like they're quite comfortable being in the position they are. And, and you know, they can say, well, we chucked a bit of money at it this time and it just didn't work, rather than our recruitment has been absolutely dreadful. Maybe we should look at the people who are doing that and try and make some changes there, um, rather than saddling poor Dean Smith with this collection of chumps, not letting him bring anybody in to improve upon it in January and... What's his reputation looking like now? You know, if he if he if he'd sat out this season, and Steven Gerrard had, had had the wobbly kind of start to his Aston Villa career that he has had, Smith's reputation would have grown in absentia. And then come October, when Mike Jackson's getting the boot, he'd be in at Burnley back in the Premier League. Whereas as it is, he's going to be in the Championship with massive expectation on him that Norwich will win the league comfortably because that's just what they do. I think I think if he had his time again, he might reconsider. Wouldn't we all, though? Wouldn't we all? <laughs> anyway, there you go. That's the relegation picture with one slot already filled by the Canaries. Uh, next up, ooh, top two. Well, listeners, both Liverpool and Man City go to Spain this week as both Premier League sides will be looking to book their place in the Stade de France showpiece. In the outright market, Liverpool are the favourites to be crowned kings of Europe at 10 to 11. City are 6 to 5. Real are 10 to 1. Villarreal are 80 to 1. On Tuesday, Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool take a two-goal lead to El Madrigal, where Unai Emery and his troops will have to produce something special 
to put a halt to the Liverpool juggernaut. In terms of the betting VRL, who only managed one shot at Anfield that was off target, are priced at 15 to 4. The draw is 14 to 5, and the Liverpool win is 4 to 6. With Liverpool getting to rest a host of their stars last weekend, it looks like a David and Goliath task for VRL. On Wednesday, we could be in store for a real cracker. The first leg of Eastlands between these two sides, City and Real, produced seven goals in the 4-3 thriller. Man City take a one-goal lead to the Bernabeu, but Pep Guardiola will know that it should have been more after the amount of chances they made last week, especially in that first half when Real Madrid were on the ropes. In terms of the betting, Real Madrid are 9-4, the draw is 14-5, the Man City win is even money. Remember, listeners, with no away goals in this competition anymore, City can at least rest easy in that regard. But it's going to be a tough test of their Champions League credentials on Wednesday night. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or indeed the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s. T's and C's apply. BeGambleAware.org. And remember, take time to think. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Bill Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. Totally Football Show European Edition is going to be out. I mean, who can say? It could be late on Monday. But anyway, Tuesday morning it'll be there with you. There'll be all sorts in there. We'll be talking about the extraordinary traps on Spore. No doubt, a word for Alan Pardew. Do you know where Alan Pardew is now? CSK Sophia. He is, Nick. How have his first two games gone? Uh, not brilliantly. Uh, lost 5-0 at the weekend, I think. Um, right. He was he was a, an advisor to the club before this and then um, advised them to appoint Alan Pardew as their manager, which uh, it doesn't seem to be going um, amazingly at the moment. Right. But. The Kenny Dalglish tactic. Nice. Yeah. He's got a cup final as well, hasn't he? Well, that wasn't this weekend. Is that, is that next weekend? He's got a lot on his plate, and for once, it's not the photographer's dinner. <laughs> uh, yes. Anyway, also, we'll try and fit in a word about the Champions League semi-final second legs, which feature, of course, the Premier League's top two. Liverpool will be at Villarreal, nursing a 2-0 lead from the game at Anfield. That's on Tuesday. Wednesday sees Man City visit the Bernabeu after that 4-3 first leg madness with Real Madrid. And cigar toting Carlo Ancelotti. What did you make of City and the pool this weekend? It feels quite weird because it, it sort of theoretically, you know, these two incredible teams, a point apart, hurtling towards the end of the season, playing, you know, brilliant football for a lot of the time. But it somehow doesn't fit. If in theory all that sounds quite exciting, but then when you actually watch the games, there's very little peril. It's it's very it's quite reminiscent of a, of a couple of seasons ago, which I th- don't think this is a new point being made. But that uh, when um, Liverpool and uh, and City won, I think it was City won the last thirteen or fourteen games. Liverpool won the last nine or ten, and uh, very few points in that did it look like either of them were going to were going to lose any of those games. So it, it, it's this theoretically really exciting title race, but when you actually watch the games, it doesn't look like either of them are going to slip up at all. Liverpool last lost in the league in December to Leicester. In that time, the only team they've actually been behind against uh, the Manchester City for about 17 minutes and then weirdly Norwich in February. And they're the only two, in the only two league games in which they've been behind. So 
it's it's they're they're incredibly impressive without it weirdly without it being particularly exciting. Was there a frisson though of jeopardy when the team sheet was announced for the Newcastle game? Newcastle had won their past six games at home, and Liverpool going with thirty-six-year-old James Milner, no Mo, no Trent. Yeah, I mean, in in theory, it was kind of exciting, but then as you say, they played their second string midfield rested their best striker and the right back that basically makes their system work and at no point in that game did they look in any particular danger so the the excitement lasted from about you know an hour before kickoff to the actual game yeah whereas I mean I, I agree with the next point that uh, you know both City and Liverpool ended up winning quite comfortably but there was a genuine frisson uh, towards the end of the first half at Allen Road um, because despite being a goal ahead uh, through that Rodri header City were on the ropes for a little bit and Ellen Road similarly to, to, to Goodison Park the day after was really bouncing um, and the Leeds uh, officials were probably regretting their decision to have uh, coordinated that, that colourful pre-match mosaic because the card that had been used to, to form it was then lobbed onto the pitch uh, throughout the first half um, and, and wasn't sort of cleared away. So you had players like running down uh, what was City's right flank at the time with the ball kind of like, you know, bouncing over bits of scrunched up cards. And there was a bit where you thought, actually, City are looking a little bit wobbly here. And um, I mean, Paul Tierney, the referee, has, has come in for, I think, a, a bit of... Uh, you know, justified criticism in that he was letting things go a little bit too much and players were flying into challenges and, and that ended up with, uh, you know, the pretty appalling spectacle of, of Stuart Dallas having been given encouragement to, to, to throw himself into challenges, throwing himself into one challenge uh, too many and ending up with an absolutely horrendous injury that's going to keep him out for a long, long time. Um, and yeah, you, you, you felt that there was a degree of relief in the city ranks when, uh, when the halftime whistle sounded. And then, you know, as perhaps could have been predicted, they ended up running away with it uh, in the second half. Another goal from a set piece from, from Nathan Ake and then, and then a couple of late goals from Jesus and, and Fernandinho. So, yeah, I mean, obviously 4-0 looks pretty comfortable that there, there was a, a brief moment where it, it felt like things could, could turn against them. Uh, but yeah, again, as Nick says, it, it does feel very similar to 2019, where you had this sort of impossible knife-edge situation of there only being one point in the title race, uh, and knowing that at any moment one false move could be fatal. And mm. as it happened, both teams just flew to the end of the season, not dropping any points. And I suspect we'll probably see the same thing this season. City with that 4-0 win, improving their goal difference to the extent that they're now only a goal behind Liverpool on that uh, on that measure of success. Matt, you've probably got the run-in in front of you there, have you? What I do have. you think? Potentially? I can't see City losing the game. I think there's a, as Tom says, there was a bit of jeopardy on Saturday, but not for long. And there's a kind of functionality to their brilliance, which can, can make it sort of seem ordinary what they mm. do. But there's just, I mean, their fixtures aren't even particularly difficult, are they? Who's the remaining got? games. They, they, Liverpool have got to play Spurs on Saturday, which is a difficult game. Um, but for Manchester City, if it, this was pretty much their toughest test and they've ended up winning it 4-0. Newcastle, you know, we thought that Newcastle was going to be a difficult game for Liverpool. They battered them 1-0. And, and Newcastle at St James's Park versus Newcastle away from home is an entirely different prospect. Wolves, they can't buy a goal at the moment. West Ham will either have a Europa League final on their mind or the crushing disappointment of not having reached one. And then Villa will have nothing to play for on the last day. I just don't see where City 
are going to drop any points and and it's a shame because as Tom and Nick say, you know, this this should be a brilliant title race that we should have started the show with because we're all so wrapped up in, in the drama of it. And yet you look at the remaining games and think, well, Liverpool might draw to Spurs, but other than that, they're just going to win all their games. Clip that up. <laughs> but it's weird. I mean, like it is... It is exciting because it's it's completely... Well, I mean, it's not completely unprecedented because the exact same thing happened in 2019. But to have mm. two teams at this level, this consistent, right. playing this quality football, we haven't seen this before. Um, and I wonder, a bit like the way that Messi and Ronaldo raised mm. the bar for, for individual players in terms of stats and, and goals per game and that sort of thing, whether this will be a new benchmark, whether this will become the norm and, and we'll, we'll, we'll look back and, and we won't ever be able to believe that, you know, sometimes you get to the end of a season without two teams having gone through the 90-point mark. And it's because we're at a time where, you know, squads are sufficiently deep that, that managers are able to rotate without mm. too much... Uh, you know, too much cost to their to their performance level, where you know sports science and physical preparation and diet etc. is so advanced that, that players are able to sustain, you know, high physical levels uh, for the whole season, and not only that, but to peak, um, mm. you know, in, in these sort of you know these sort of uh, pivotal uh, final weeks of, of the campaign. So I mean, it, it you know it, it is it is absolutely remarkable what what Liverpool and City are doing, and and. I think because they are just so consistent and they seem so invulnerable that there is something that does feel a little bit mechanical about it. Um, and yeah, I, I wonder whether, the, a, a, you know, a consequence will be that, that this will not necessarily become the norm, but, but, but that it might become more frequent. Because if you look at the kind of record points tallies in the English top flight, the top sort of 20 points tallies, at least sort of 15, have all been, have all been achieved in the last, kind of 10 15 years so this 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 does seem to be the kind of uh, direction of travel and of course mm. we should also say that you know it is a reflection of the uh, grotesque inequalities that exist within the game and that fundamentally you know shouldn't exist uh, and that this you know that the this feels quite novel two teams doing this and, and going at each other in this way but if this is what it's going to be like forever mm. people will probably get bored of it at some point tom williams sniping Again, uh, we should mention that since our last podcast, Mo Salah was awarded Football Writers Player of the Year, and Jurgen Klopp received a fat new contract, which will keep him out at Anfield until 2026. If it's excitement you want, then you can't say fairer than Wednesday night's Real Madrid Man City. Who wants to lay down a prediction for that one then after the 4 3 at the Etihad? I think. For all the reasons that Nostradamus James Horncastle sort of laid out in the Euro show last week, in which if anyone ha- hasn't or listened to that, he basically exactly predicted two of uh, how Real Madrid were going to score two of their goals. Yeah, but missed the Penenka though, didn't he? <laughs> well, yeah, that's a mark against him there. Um, but yeah, I think I, I think Real Madrid will go through. Um, for, for you think exactly Real Madrid those. will go through, Nick? Mm, yeah, for for those kind of reasons. That, Matt's nodding. Know, yeah, I agree. Yeah. For, yeah. Yeah, it it just it feels like Manchester City can be as brilliant as as they as they want and play this sublime controlled football, but then it doesn't really matter because you know Luka Modric will play do something ludicrous or Benzema will score a goal like that or Vinicius will pop up pop up with something incredible. So I'm mean, I'm not sure there's a it's not a huge amount of kind of logic or um, you know keen thinking going into it, but it's just sort of what Real Madrid do. So yeah, I think I think Real will go through. 
Tom, there is something there is something of the undead about Real Madrid this season that mm. you just they just keep on coming and you hit them over the head and you chop their limbs off and you drive a stake through their hearts and they. You know they, they they cling on nonetheless. You know we saw that against PSG. We saw that against Chelsea. Um, I I think City will will go through, um, but I, th- I think it'll be I think it'll be close. Crikey! All right. Well, more of that kind of thing, including the latest take from James Horncastle, and also an informed view from Alvaro Romeo on Real's prospects, coming up in Tuesday's European Totally Football Show. Next up, let's have a look at that top four race. So, Mr. Guardiola, what's troubling you? I'm very tired, doctor. Tired, right. No, I'm very tired of winning. It's just too easy at the moment, you know? I need a challenge. Like finally winning the Champions League with Man City? Hey, <laughs> hey, hey. Come on. Will Pep finally do it? At Paddy Power, we can't guarantee you a trophy, but we can guarantee you money back as a free bet if one leg of your 4 plus 4 bet builder lets you down. Paddy Power! Pre-match online bet builder bets only. Min odds 1 to 5 per leg. Max free bet £10 per day. 7-day free bet expiry. Excludes enhanced match odds. Eligibility restrictions and T's and C's apply. 18 plus. BeGambleAware.org. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Listener, it's the 2nd of May for us. Uh, On this day in 2016, 2nd of May, it was, remember this, the Battle of the Bridge. Battle of the Bridge, one of the most remarkable days ever in the Premier League. Tottenham drawing 2-2 with Chelsea at Stamford Bridge, which of itself, fair enough. But the draw, after Spurs had been 2-0 up, meant that little old 5,001 shots Leicester were crowned Premier League champions. Yes, amazing. Spurs were in that title race. Matt, you were there at Stamford Bridge. Yeah, hilarious it was. Um, such rancour, like you'll you'll never see before or since. Absolutely, that was rancour, listener. Stop. Yes, <laughs> with an R. Uh, yeah, must underline that. But this this was the Mourinho season. You remember for Chelsea as current Spurs manager Antonio Conte uh, famously referred to it as, and and they were two nil down um, with not much time left. Edin Hazard was having an absolutely dreadful time of it, had only scored his first league goals of the season in the game before that. Uh, He came on at half-time and and eventually got the equaliser. And and that was essentially Chelsea's season. They they won one of their last seven league games, finished 10th, 31 points behind Leicester. But on that night, it was a kind of feeling that it didn't really matter because they'd made Tottenham melt down. I was there as well, um, and I think Hazard's goal, I probably had the best view of it that I've ever had for uh, a goal um, in in a game that I've attended because it was off to the left of the press box and he kind of hit it from the left-hand corner penalty area, a little one-two with Diego Costa. Actually, one of his best ever goals, uh, Hazard. I mean, and you know, he, he scored some, some, some pretty decent ones, but yeah, that all got got lost amid the uh, amid the excitement of, of what the goal meant uh, but yeah one of those as soon as the ball left his foot you you know you knew that it was in saw it arcing into, into the top right hand corner and yeah a very enjoyably spiky uh, mm. ill-tempered game and and it was 
yeah, it was it was basically a very young, uh, a very exciting Spurs team who were kind of punching massively above their weight that season. The only ones who really took the fight to Leicester of the kind of established big clubs, and that was the moment that yeah, they kind of uh, they kind of collapsed really. Yeah, spiky as you say. It's sort of game that should have Ken Aston uh, officiating. Spurs picking up nine yellow cards, which remains a record for a team in a Premier. League match, all sorts of excitements. Moussa Dembele picking up a six-game ban for gouging Diego Costa's eye. Totally unprovoked, I'm sure, as well. Uh, <laughs> Costa was just wandering past. Um, yeah. the, the main fun, though, came in the challenges that got the yellow cards because there were some ludicrous tackles, whereas the, the kind of melee at the end of the game just had a massive hold-me-back lads energy to it and um, Gus Hiddink just sort of looking at it and walking away going, silly boys, while John Terry's mouthing somebody, <laughs> it's something at somebody. Um, that was a bit underwhelming, but the tackles were, were ludicrous. It was amazing that nobody got sent off. Mm. Spurs ended up finishing third that year. Behind Arsenal. There you go. This is after they lost 5-1 to an already relegated 10-man Newcastle on the final day of the season. Crikey. Those are different times, though. Arsenal second, Spurs third, and Leicester winning the title. Anyway, this year, Arsenal and Spurs, of course, both in the hunt for top four football, both winning on Sunday. Spurs 3-1 at home to Leicester. Arsenal at West Ham. So that's three straight wins now for the Gunners from fixtures with Chelsea, Man United and West Ham. Pretty impressive stuff. It's kind of slightly, I don't know, about an Arsenal win as well. Obviously, two goals coming from the from defenders. Um, they weren't, they weren't particularly good uh, in midfield or, or up front, really, and had to really kind of scrap for it that that they usually you would expect those kind of three behind the striker to create something incredible and they didn't do a huge amount of that um they had a few couple of chances towards the end and Eddie and Katia I, I suppose that that kind of thing being able to win in a different way for Arsenal could be quite encouraging and you know it's it looks like it's all going to come down to the game between Arsenal and Tottenham in a couple of weeks isn't it well, unless unless Spurs, I mean, obviously we're all looking forward to that Spurs Arsenal game on May the twelfth and hoping that it will be this massive showdown. Um, but I've forgotten that Spurs are at Liverpool on Saturday, aren't they? Um, so if that goes to form, then their goose might already be cooked. It's kind of work, working okay. on the basis that while Arsenal did win very impressively, they will uh, make a mess of something at some stage. Uh, I mean, this is entirely plausible. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they have done this in the past; had three straight wins, then had three straight losses, or vice versa. The, the the opponents they've had, Chelsea, Man United and West Ham, or you might put little asterisks against Chelsea because of their, their current malaise. Man United, I mean, for reasons that have, we've spent too long talking about, and West Ham because they literally don't have any defenders. Yeah, that was that was key in this game. I was at the, the Craig Dawson show at Stamford Bridge last week and, and the defending for, for both of these goals was absolutely lamentable uh, from West Ham. You know, the, the first one holding barely even gets off the ground to head it in and, and Gabriel's got time to kind of look over both shoulders and check his bank balance before he puts in the winner, um, which is strange because Kurt Zuma was playing in this game, having, you know, thought that he might not play again this season. But mm. um, yeah, they were... 
they were poor defensively, West Ham, and, and felt like a bit of wind had been taken out of their sails by what had happened on Thursday. So a nice fixture for Arsenal in some regards. But like Nick says, a different kind of win for them. And, and that shows a bit of growth, doesn't it? We've got, got to credit them with that if they can if they can win in that kind of way, as well as sort of smash mouth style against Man United and, and preying on the uh, inadequacies of, of Chelsea as they did a couple of weeks ago. Also showing a bit of growth was Rob Holding, who scored his first goal in six years and then and then and then did you see uh, Aaron Ramsdale when he was uh, complimented for this post game saying yeah only took six years and a new hairline <laughs> brutal ouch <laughs> but I mean Rob Rob Holding has had one of the most spectacular um, hair transplants in 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 the game hasn't he I, I, I think I don't think it's I don't think it's a secret um, I, I hadn't kept track of his hairline at all I mean, he's he's not the most high-profile footballer, um, which is maybe why he thought he could get away with having a hair transplant and no one noticing. Mm. Um, but lots good of lord, I hadn't noticed it. I've just just googled it. That is, it is, I mean, that's Andros Townsend levels of improvement. Yeah, it's it, it's quite something. He's he's got quite the uh, he's got quite the head of hair on him. And mm. yeah, as, as Aaron Ramsdale said, it's um you know it's. Uh, it's uh, it's it's had an impact on his uh, on his goal scoring as well. But I mean, just just on Arsenal. I mean, West Ham. Yeah, obviously, you know, halfway through that vitally important tie against Eintracht Frankfurt and, and having rotated quite significantly. But you look at the players that Arsenal were missing. Two of the first choice back four in in Kieran Tierney was obviously still out, and Ben White, who unexpectedly wasn't available. Um, Thomas Partey, who's still out as well. Uh, you had. Eddie Nketiah is starting up front with Lacazette on the bench again. I mean, this is a very, very inexperienced, very callow Arsenal team. Um, so for them to have, you know, to have beaten three historic rivals um, in successive matches, having previously succumbed to the kind of very Arsenal-y slump that we've all got used to seeing in, in, in recent years, suggests that a, a corner has been turned. And I mean, it wouldn't be a surprise if Arsenal were to, were to then collapse again. But I think, to, you know, to kind of scrap your way to, to a victory like that, missing so many key players with sort of, you know, last minute absentees and things like that is is a really positive sign for Arsenal. And they're, yeah, they're obviously very much in the driving seat now when it comes to um, when it comes to getting that top four place. Hmm. Very fair, Tom. Uh, Spurs, meanwhile, had a shot, uh, a shot on target against Leicester. Harry Kane scored with that. It was their first in 222 minutes. They didn't look against the Foxes like a team that had problems scoring. Came with his 17th goal in 14 Premier League appearances against Leicester. Uh, and then Sun adding a couple more, the second of which was an absolute belter, my word. Imagine imagine sitting behind the goal and watching that one oh. sail in. Well, you could only could only dream. And and like you know, the, the thought occurs that, that Son Hung Min is one of the most perfectly two footed players that I think we've seen um in, in the Premier League, in that you could very well imagine him doing that on his right side as well um, and yeah for the first time since I think 2013-14 Spurs are going to have a top scorer in the Premier League other than Harry Kane and I wonder whether this is maybe a sort of passing of the of the baton and, and a kind of a reflection of the fact that Kane is you know is is uh, the creative side of his game in terms of setting up chances is you know is, is coming to the fore more um, and yeah I thought Son took both of his goals brilliantly Only Mo Salah has scored more uh, this season than Sun Hyung Min. I, I didn't stop to ask, but are you down with the football writers giving player of the season to Mo Salah, or do you feel that's a bit of a, 
unimaginative choice? I mean, as one of the the football writers at SOC, I did have a vote, and I, I voted for Mo Salah. So I'm, I'm as much to blame for this as, as anyone, James. OK. What was your rationale? I always vote for the player who's given me the most pleasure over the course of the season, who I've enjoyed watching the most, who's hit, who's hit the heights um, the most consistently. And for me, that's, that's Salah. I think about, you know, you think about those goals he scored against Watford and City earlier in the season, probably two of the best goals he's ever scored. Um, and, you know, there are lots of very good players in the Premier League, but I, I don't think anyone has, has, has hit those levels quite as consistently as, as Salah has this season. Matt and Nick don't appear like they want to disagree with you. And, and exactly the same argument applies to Sam Kerr as well. Exactly the same as Mo Salah, essentially. You know, the, the, it, the, the sort of boring formulaic route one choice is often the best in these uh, kind of things. There you go. West Ham and Leicester, of course, are both uh, going to be involved in Thursday night semi-final second leg action themselves. West Ham 2-1 down from the game at the London Stadium last Thursday against Eintracht Frankfurt. Leicester, meanwhile, heading to the Stadio Olimpico to take on Roma, who drew their Sunday night nil-nil with Bologna. Eintracht Frankfurt yet to play uh, this round. Uh, and uh, yes, 1-1 was the scoreline at the King Power. We'll, we'll touch on those games duh, in the Tuesday European edition of this show. We're not done with this one, though, so stick around. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League 1? FX is Welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. And with Paddy Power, if something doesn't go quite to plan, you can get your money back as a free bet if one leg of your bet builder lets you down. And that's good news for Watford fans as they get ready to appoint their fourth manager of the season. Pre-match bet builders only get your stake back as a free bet. Minimum four plus legs. Maximum free bet is £10. Excludes enhanced match odds. Online exclusives and T's and C's apply. Totally Football Show live. 10th of May. Looming 10th of May. I'm going to be on a stage at the Glee Club in Birmingham watching Duncan Alexander, Michael Cox, and Julian Laurence duke it out verbally and perhaps more because Duncan and Julian, there's simmering tension between those two. Come get a ringside seat. Glee.co.uk is the place for tickets. Totally Football League show. That'll be a sizzler. Matt Davis-Adams, you're helming that as soon as you get done with this. Is that right? 
Um, sort of, yeah. We've got the non-award winning straight out of Cobham, the show about Chelsea FC from The Athletic in between times. But yes, we well, shall be then depressing be moving listen on. depressing listen this week, I'm thinking. <laughs> yeah, it might be. Uh, no, it won't because Chelsea women got a brilliant win at Birmingham to keep the WSL title uh, fate in their own hands. But yeah, Football League-wise, um, Duncan mused on Thursday that perhaps our conversation with Gareth Ainsworth might distract the Wickham boss uh, from his task. Not a bit of it. They pinched the final playoff place on the, on a great last day in League One, which saw uh, Rotherham uh, go up alongside Wigan, who are the champions. So we'll be talking a lot about that. And um, Gillingham manager Neil Harris's spectacular post-match interview uh, in which he basically called out the club, the players, the staff, everybody involved with the club. As Gillingham went down, he said, I've got seven contracted players. None of them will be here next year. It would have been nice if I'd had a tactics board when I'd arrived at the club. Um, so that was good fun. So yeah, that that and plenty more on the league show. Brilliant. Also on Tuesdays, the Athletic Women's Football Podcast, of which should be touching on some of those stories. Uh, Arsenal's massive win at the weekend. Of course, the Champions League semi-final second legs, where Barcelona actually lost 2-0 to Wolfsburg, but still went through 5-3 to a final where they'll be facing Lyon. Big surprise after they beat PSG 5-3 on aggregate. They'll probably talk about Newcastle as well, won't they? First, first ever remarkable. game at St James's Park, over 22,000 there against the might of Annick Town ladies. Um, mm. Newcastle playing the fourth tier. Yeah, incredible. Yeah, incredible. All right. Still in the Premier League, two games we haven't touched on. Saints uh, losing at home to Crystal Palace, 2-1. Will Saha with the 92nd minute winner there. And Brighton, 3-0 winners away at Wolves. Brighton are now ninth. They've got their highest ever Premier League points total. Good Lord. On, on for their highest ever uh, finish as well. I think their previous highest finish was 12th or 13th, I think. 13th, I think, yeah. 13th. There you go. And now they seem to have figured out how to score goals, then it looks like a bright future. The other thing about their, their bright future is they have, they have that classic thing of, a, of what looks like a well-run football team is that when one of their style players attracts attention from elsewhere and looks like they might uh, leave, in this case, Eve Basuma, it looks like they already have a, a ready-made replacement there uh, in the team and or in the squad. Moses Casado, who's who came in, I think he came in, in or he came back from alone in January and has played a, a few times and just looks incredibly impressive. Slightly different type of player to Basuma, but looks like he will, if Basuma does go uh, in the summer, then Casado will just kind of step up and and fill the gap very nicely. Hmm. Um, and, you know, as Graham Potter pointed out uh, after the game, they sold Ben White last season and somehow got better. Partly because they had the these kind of players already in place that could step up and and take the place. So just you know a very admirable football club. Be Indeed. interesting to see if their recruitment is as good in this summer. Now they're not going to have Dan Ashworth at the head of it, I guess. Um, whether you know they've got stuff in place long term or whether it's more the scouting network than what he was doing. But um, yeah, that that might be a factor, I suppose. And kudos to Alexis McAllister for uh, missing a penalty and then scoring a penalty and actually taking the exact same kind of penalty as the one he missed. You occasionally see players will use an early free kick as a sighter uh, to get their eye in and then score one. I think that's possibly the first time I've seen a player do it from the penalty spot. Brighton, ninth, as we mentioned, only one place behind Wolves, who will... According to Matt Davis-Adams, look back next season at these halcyon days when they were briefly flirting with European places and the like. 
as they plummet down to the championship. Matt, any particular reason or just a feeling that Wolves um, are in for some dark Mainly times? a feeling, but also their top scorer has got six goals, which is not great. Um, uh, they've, got, they've got an outstanding goalkeeper. They've got a great midfielder in Ruben Neves, but word around the campfire seems to be that he might be on the way out in the summer and that would be a massive task to replace him. And I just don't really see uh, where else their goals come from. And I mean, it's difficult, isn't it? Again, this is quite possibly recency bias, but you always want to finish the season strongly rather than begin it strongly. And, and that puts Bruno Large under a bit of pressure at the start of next season if they continue with this funk between now and the end of the campaign. And, and you know, with the exception of Saar, I'd say they're another team who, who haven't done brilliantly in terms of recruitment in the last season or two. So a big summer ahead for them. But yeah, I can, I can see them struggling next season. The, the other thing being that Raul Jimenez, very understandably, just doesn't quite look the same player as he did pre his injury. Um, and, you know, given that they have relied upon him to, if not directly for goals all the time, is very much the focal point of, of their attack. Adama Troy might not be their next season depending on what happens with with Barcelona um, as you say Neves might not be there so a, a rebuilding summer and uh, as you say the, some of the recruitment hasn't been great so who knows how that rebuilding will go mm. okay and Saints defeated 2-1 by Palace Ezzy getting his first goal in 11 months a player who Palace fans have long been pining for yeah that's great because the the, the Achilles injury to me feels like the new knee injury as in the serious mm. one that players get like they, they seem to have worked out how to treat you know an ACL injury or whatever whereby you can come back and resume your career pretty quickly but having seen it at close hand the effect that it's had on, on Ruben Loftus-Cheek and Callum Hudson-Odoi who's struggling even now to get back from it um, you do worry when players get that I know he's young as a but it's um, it is really really devastating injury so hopefully this is the start of a prolonged comeback for him. And they're potentially so... I mean, they're, they're quite fun already, Palace, but I think if you add Eze to the mix as well, they've already got a, a collection of attacking players that feels slightly unfair when you can have Zaha and Michael Elise in the same team, you know, doing their thing. So you add Eze to that as well, and it is, it's potentially one of the most exciting, you know, sort of attacking midfield threes that we've seen. Mm. Um, and I think a, a good result for Palace in that having reached the FA Cup semi-finals and then lost and with nothing to play for in the league, you know, there's obviously a danger there that the players sort of down tools. But I think to, um, you know, to have uh, to have come from behind to win, you know, getting getting the winner from Zaha in, in stoppage time suggests that, you know, they haven't yet signed off for the season. Um, and you, you feel like there's a bit of a feel-good factor around Palace at the moment. Uh, and, you know, Eze being back from injury and, and, and scoring again will be, will be part of that. So I can... You know, I can see them picking up a few more wins between now and the end of the season. Mm. And then who knows, Matt probably does, but who knows next time around if they can keep some of those players fit. Very good. Oh, Monique. I, I just wanted to, on Southampton, I'm very envious of anyone who can conjure up a firm and certain opinion about Southampton. Because, I don't know, are they a kind of you know progressive side with a fine manager who make the best of some very young players? Or are they the team that they've got three games left of the season and are still not mathematically safe from relegation? The way the way form's going, that there is a, a an outside chance that they could finish below Burnley. They presumably won't get relegated, but you know they're they're eight points uh, ahead of Everton, who've got five games left. Um, one win in ten. One win in yeah, one win in ten. I just, I f- who knows what 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 to make of them? Uh, if anyone can help me out there, then you know do let me know. 
But mainly the Bournemouth ticket. That's what you want to help with, right? Yeah. Not Southampton. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The, very much one and two. That yeah. <laughs> if, if if you can deliver a, a firm opinion on Southampton with a ticket to Forest Bournemouth on Tuesday, <laughs> then uh, that would be greatly appreciated. Bingo. Still to come from this Premier League weekend, you've got Man United Brentford on Monday night. As mentioned on Thursday, that is United's final home game of the season. Sure to be an emotional one. I'm, yeah. I imagine. Lap of appreciation is going to be good fun. No, that one. Ralph Rannick, who is job sharing now because he is the new head coach for Austria. So, yeah, a lot of plates spinning there for Ralph. Very good. Well, I think that brings us to the end of today's Totally Football show. As mentioned, the Euro edition will be up with you shortly as well, ahead of those crucial midweek ties. But for now, many, many thanks to Nick, Tom, Matt, producer Charlie, especially you, listener. Anything you guys wanted to pitch in before we press the big red stop button? I was just going to wish Nick good luck in his uh, his ticket quest. Thanks, Tom. All right. Good luck in general. Bournemouth fans, may the best team win. Yeah. Imagine, yeah, this is well, this is Bournemouth's yeah, chance for revenge against me, isn't it? I haven't even thought about that. They oh, will absolutely yeah. love it if they uh, if they do us tomorrow You've night. You've still got to <laughs> go to the Vitality and get something, Matt. Matt Davis-Adams' picture on the dressing room wall in, in Bournemouth. <laughs> Remember this guy made a speculative prediction about us about three Which years ago? Which proved to be utterly accurate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that one. Yeah. Give it to him. Wow. <laughs> Football. Narratives. Extraordinary. All right, well... We'll have the verdict on that and so much more uh, on Thursday's show, of course. For now, though, from all of us here, it's goodbye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on the Athletic app and discover bonus content by following the Athletic UK Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts. Find out the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Totally Football Show is an athletic media company production and sponsored by Paddy Power. The Athletic.